So to think about how just something I said that was so, to me, mundane and how it changed the trajectory of that whole entire family's life is, is hard to even imagine, you know? Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 73 features Terry Connington, the NICA League Director for the State of Arkansas. As you will learn, Terry has done a lot of things in life, including serving with the Blue Angels while he was in the U.S. Navy. Terry drops a ton of life stories within this podcast and goes deep on all things NICA, the importance of integrating bikes into communities, and how giving back within the community of mountain biking has been the most fulfilling aspect of Terry's life. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. Additional support for Trail Effect comes from Giants Ridge and Ride the Range in northern Minnesota. Check out Volume 1 of the Range Report that came out on Thursday, May 26th. Also stay tuned for Volume 2 of the Range Report, which will go live on Thursday, June 10th. The Trail Effect Patreon account is live again also. If you find value in the content found on Trail Effect, you now have a way to donate for that value. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Terry Coddington. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I am not going to do a full intro bio because I think it would take an hour with Terry Coddington, which is who we have for our guest today. So we're going to let Terry go into all the different things that he's done, which might surprise a lot of you that are listeners because Terry's Terry's had his hands in a lot of different activities throughout his life. And I think it'll be a, a good learning experience for all of us and some good entertainment as well. So how's it going today, Terry? Good. Uh, glad to be here. So uh, excited to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I've had requests for a for more Nika content or Nika content in general. And when Jeff Gannon, who connected us, suggested you, and then I looked to see who you were, I was taken back by all your all of your achievements. So I told Jeff, I said, we have to have Terry on the show. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. I tell people I'm a little bit like Forrest Gump. You know, I'm not that smart, but I've done a lot of different things. So <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> well, let's kind of get into your backstory and what led you to where you are today in your leadership role with NICA. Uh, so, you know, I've got a military background, um, grew up in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and being a Civil War town, I was just always kind of drawn to the military. So I uh, did that right out of high school. And I just, there's leadership all around me. And, um, I, 
you know, my last three years of the Navy, I served uh, overseas, but the last three years was with the Blue Angels. Um, I was always in the aviation side of things. Uh, wasn't a pilot, but I got to do quite a bit of uh, flying and having a lot of fun. Um, so then kind of fast forward, I get out of the military. And uh, even while I was in there, I started racing cars and doing different things. Um, uh, I was just always kind of, I guess people classify me as a adrenaline junkie. That's probably pretty accurate. Um, I, I got out of the Navy and then I kind of got into insurance where I was a claims guy. And that's where I got into management leadership. And then that's what ultimately brought me to uh, Arkansas is uh, the insurance business, which I no longer do. Now my uh, life is just about bikes. Yeah, let's let's dive into some of the leadership lessons you learned while in the Navy, and then we'll transition into NICA and other things. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I've um, I was privileged that I got to work in some pretty high. I wasn't in a high leadership role in the military, but I worked for people that were. So as a as a result, I kind of had a like an insight uh, inside. Uh, track or whatever to like some of the best leaders in the Navy. So, you know, just watching how, how they handled things. Um, and then moving on through, you know, the corporate world, there's really not a lot of different things. Like whenever I got into the corporate world, um, is really the same. And so I just feel like all of those things that, that you do shape you. Like uh, I went to uh, Naval justice school and, and had like a legal background in the Navy. I, I didn't pursue that whenever I got out, um, but just kind of just working in all these different roles. And I think I was just always open to different opportunities is one of the reasons I kind of have a really varied background. So dive into some of your other roles too, because you're also, from what I can tell, from what I've read, uh, bike and pedestrian coordinator down there in Conway, Arkansas. And that for me personally is a role I've always been interested in because my real career is with Wisconsin DOT. And so I kind of have a foot on the bike ped side of things from a personal life, but also I've seen it from a professional side. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that evolved, um, over time. So whenever I moved to Conway, pretty much right out of the gate as a cyclist, I was hit by a car twice and I decided really quickly that somebody had to do something or somebody's like, is does somebody actually have to get killed in order? So I just started advocating and doing different things and being vocal and attending city meetings. And then luckily the city was really open to that and they kind of pulled me in. I, I ended up on a city board, bike and pedestrian board, and then just different projects that I was doing and volunteering within the community kind of let it and it's basically I'm a contract employee kind of part time. It's not a full time gig, so I, I get to impact the community, you know, that way just through a lot of stuff. Just you know, whether it's trails or you know, like the other day, it's like just trying to get you know, bikes may share the lane signs put up on a certain street and you know, different things to advocate and make the community better. And a lot of that, you, you travel all around and you see what it, 
could be like, you know, when you're in a community and you want it to be better and then you go someplace that's already better, you just come back and try to apply some of those lessons. And so some of that's just by privilege that I've gotten to travel all over the place and see all kinds of great places and trying to make it better for everybody else so they don't have some of the same early experiences that I did. Yeah, and living in Arkansas, you don't have to travel too far to find a community that is pretty progressive in terms of bike lanes and bike and pedestrian infrastructure, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's familiar with Bentonville, um, you know, what's going on in Northwest Arkansas, but there's other great communities too. And, you know, trails are all over. Little Rock's doing a lot of great things. Um, so I would, I would say Arkansas like is really just become a cycling Mecca over the last 10 years. As you, uh, transitioned out of your role with insurance and became all involved with cycling, you also have psychological coaching, correct? Yeah. And, uh, so whenever I left insurance, (laughs) it's funny story. So I'm a certified skills instructor and that's like, I started psychological to do that. And, and that's a lot of what I do is, you know, skills, jump clinics, um, you know, different things. But then I had, I had somebody call me and how much, because I've been racing bikes for years. I raced BMX as a kid, um, won some national championships, even like won the, won the grand nationals at the age of 50, my kid was doing it. So it was a lot of fun going back and doing it again. But so, but people are asking me for skills and things, but then I had somebody say, how much to, you know, I want you to coach me. And I was like, well, that's not, I don't do the fitness side of things. And they said, no, you're going to, you're going to coach me. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. So uh, it's kind of grown into skills and also fitness coaching uh, just based on my background in racing. So. Yeah. And it's interesting. We've talked about coaching quite a bit on this podcast. I've had other coaches on and especially for adults, I think some adults just, it's almost like a blow to their ego to not want to take skills coaching. But at the same time, like I've had conversations with people where I've said, Hey, like the best Olympians are still, they still have skills coaches. Yeah. And and it's kind of funny because like my own father, whenever I told him what I was doing, he's like, and people pay you for that. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, like cycling's evolved and it's so much more technical. Now we're just not riding our bikes down the street. It's, you got to know what you're doing when you're in the woods. And a lot of people want to be perfect. Being proficient is also, I kind of have a saying that confidence equals speed, you know? And so if you're confident on the trail, it's going to equate into speed on the trail. I'm not the fittest guy, but I have a lot of good skills and I've won a lot of races because of my skills more so than my fitness. And so um, hopefully if I can share some of that because nobody did that whenever I was a kid, right? Like, um, you know, everyone's teaching baseball and and things like that. And um, but I was racing bikes when I was a kid. I just wish somebody would have like pulled me off to the side, you know, and and gave me some tips way back then. But I pretty much did everything on my own, you know, trial and error, so to speak. Yeah. And we're all in this for fun and we all know that fast is fun. So. Yeah. It's a lot. Well, I like going fast a little bit like Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <I like going laughs> fast, so 
um, that's, you know, it's got me into some trouble occasionally too, you know, so there's been a few injuries along the way. Yeah. Well, let's, let's transition into your role with NICA as the, the league director for the, for the state of Arkansas. Let's kind of go into how you got into that role and then what that role has meant for you. Yeah. So kind of back to like in Conway, we didn't, we didn't have NICA. It was starting up in the state. Um, and so I started a NICA team in my community and you know, I just started out, I was a team director, the head coach, you know, got a bunch of great people to volunteer and help me coach. And we started the first year we had like 15 kids and the next year was 30. Now the Conway team is the largest team in the state. We, you know, when you combine middle school and high school, um, last year they had almost 70 kids. So that's kind of how I started and what I fell in love with was like whenever you're working with kids I kind of discovered like you know obviously like everybody participates in all the great things and the values and everything that NICA has it's really youth development on two wheels and it's more so than racing and so you learn a lot of lessons on the bike through the competition and and the weekends but the the more I did it, like the more I fell in love with it, I became like uh, the, a coach trainer where I was training other coaches across the league. And then it grew into I was a coaching director. Then I became the associate director and obviously now the director. And Kyla Templeton, um, who did an amazing job kind of uh, co-founding the league uh, going on seven years ago, what I didn't realize, like she she was like pulling me in and like teaching me all this stuff. And she had a master plan like everybody should have, you know, she knew at some point she wasn't going to be doing this anymore. She's going to move on to other things. And, um, so, you know, she, she pulled me alongside and, and I just feel like professionally, my life didn't really start until I started giving back, uh, is the best way. Like whenever, I meet people all the time and they're like, well, I'm not sure I can, not sure I can volunteer or whatever. And like, it's changed my life to the point. That's how strongly I feel like aside from my kids that like giving back to the community is like the greatest thing that it just gives so much more back to me. And I get so much, uh, you know, I guess, uh, joy out of it watching it changes communities. You know, if you get a kid riding a bicycle, you get a family riding a bicycle and over time you just get entire communities riding bicycles. So. Yeah, for sure. I got a couple, a couple thoughts on that. One of the things that I've brought up numerous times in this podcast is a, is a Matthew McConaughey quote, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it's that intersection of selfishness and selflessness. That's like that sweet spot. Right. And that's, yeah, that's a lot of what we, we end up doing here in this, in this world of mountain biking and the mountain biking community. Yeah. You know, and I remember when NICA first came on board here in Wisconsin, it became apparent really early that when you get a kid involved with NICA, there's a pretty big multiplier effect with that, as you just explained. And and that doesn't always mean more people get into the actual sport of mountain biking, but that does mean more people become fans of it, you know, and that could be aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters, obviously parents, you know, and that's 
I think that's probably one of the strongest things aside from the leadership roles and the developing of, you know, young adults or teenagers that Nike has really brought to the world of cycling. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like it's um, that multiplier gets you closer to like critical mass, you know, where, where it becomes a community where everybody's just bought into it. You know, seven years ago in Conway, I knew everybody, if somebody went by with a bike rack or a bicycle, I knew them. And now there's just so many people and that I I don't know. There's no way to know them all, but a lot of that is because of NICA and it just starts spreading like, like wildfire across, across families and the community and, and that's all good for the community because it makes a better place to live. You get more opportunity and more access. And the, the more that you do that, then the safer it becomes because now you're just not a cyclist on the road. You're, it's more humanized whenever you're on the road or they see you crossing a road, you know, to access a trail or something. So, yeah. And- you know, especially when it comes to trails, when you maybe present a plan to get a trail or a trail system, you know, formally you'd probably have, and you'll still have people asking why, but now you have probably more people asking why not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a hard ask. Like when you're doing it for the kids and for the community and people want to make it happen, but you know, the, the old business model a while back was it was just a bunch of white guys going to the meeting and saying we want to build trails you know and like now it's 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 for everybody and it's inclusive and it's for the whole community so uh, that's probably the best thing about you know what what nica does and for the community it's it's for everybody so do you have any good stories that you could share of more of a maybe a specific circumstance that really touched you in terms of any of your roles in, in NICA so far, whether as the director or even down to just being a coach or a coach trainer? Yeah, I think thinking on that is, um, you know, you see, you see all different types of things where you see families that are very supportive and then you see families that aren't, you see, sometimes you see troubled youth that like really need this as an outlet. And so I've seen a little bit of all of that. Probably the most impactful thing that I've had happen is, uh, you know, and you don't even realize it like when it's there's all these teachable moments in practice. Right. So like you you don't even realize you're teaching a life lesson. But like we were doing we were doing intervals or something one night. And I remember telling the kids, uh, I don't even call them intervals in practice. Right. Like we're just having fun. And I, I tell them to chase each other and they chase each other for like a minute and then they get a break. So. They're doing intervals. They just don't know it. But I'm telling them, like, you got to do the hard work. You can't take the easy way out. If you want to get better and go faster on your bike, this is some of the stuff that you got to do. And then you kind of fast forward. And I and I had an athlete, the parent called me and said, hey, I just wanted to make you aware that their, their, their son basically decided not to take his life because of something that I said in practice, like don't take the easy way out. And he asked for help. So to think about how just something I said that was so to me mundane and how it changed the trajectory of that whole entire family's life is, is hard to even imagine, you know? And then 
I've also had like proud coach moments where, you know, I've had a, a graduating senior get a scholarship. Like that's, that's a really cool experience whenever somebody goes to college on a cycling scholarship that, you know, a couple of years ago, you didn't even know existed. So. Yeah. And as I was doing research on you and listen, I know you've been on a couple other podcasts, you had talked about the outride program and how that positively impacts people. And I don't know if a lot of people are fully aware of the outride program. Yeah, that's a great program. You know, Specialized does that. And it's, you know, it's really uh, like trying to get bikes into schools and get kids active, but it's also a study on like how cycling is part of their like physical activity can affect their grades, their, their behaviors and all that in school. So like the, you know, if you get a grant, which we got one in Conway and it's this, they come in, the, the PE teacher gets this awesome trip to go learn all about it and how to teach it to the kids. And then they roll the, you know, the kids come to PE class. How cool would that be? I wish we had that when we were kids, you know, like you hear that all the time now, whenever you're around this sport, like, I wish I had this when I was a kid, cause it's evolving so fast, but so yeah, there, there's that. There's also, you know, all kids ride where there's, um, programs where we're working to put strider bikes in uh, kindergarten classes all around the state. And there's also a pedal kit where they can transition from a strider in kindergarten to pedal assist and kind of, you know, because a lot of kids now, if you think about the generations, they're not learning how to ride a bike. A lot of the parents didn't ride bikes, you know, the video game generation and for whatever reasons, um, you know, sometimes it's financial or or socioeconomic and that's why like in nica we have all these loaner bike programs and scholarships to try and help that yeah and we've had we've had an all kids ride podcast on this podcast but one of the things i just found out well actually it just happened this week in lacrosse is an all, all kids ride program was set up in one of the local grade schools and it was set up through uh through the local bike shop where a husband and wife owned the bike shop and and they're also a Trek dealer. I know you're a Trek ambassador. Yeah. And that bike shop is Smith's Bike Shop. I'm going to do a shameless plug for Smith's because Smith's is also one of the supporters of this podcast. But but it was great to see, you know, them launch that All Kids Ride program this week here in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So that's a, yeah. it's an important thing. Yeah. Like just getting them, getting kids on bikes that, that early. It, it's really, I mean, it's a life sport. You know, for those of us that are in it, I mean, I'm 51 years old and I'm still competing and there's, you know, there's, there's so many stories. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, North Shore Betty or whatever. If you've seen that video, she's like 70, just shredding like 70, but like, I hope. I think she's 74. 74. Like, I, I just hope that's part of my story that though, like I'm 74 and, and I'm still sending it, you know, like, but, and so that's you know, getting them involved early. And then it's always something, whether it's physical or the mental benefits of cycling, hopefully people come back to it. And it's like ebbs and flows. I left it for a while. When I was doing insurance, I didn't, I didn't ride for, I was racing cars and doing insurance and didn't, you know, didn't ride bikes for 15 years or so. And then I started riding again because I was getting too fat to drive a race car. So. <laughs> You got to be able to fit in the seat. 
got to be able to fit in the seat. And I just, I didn't want to get, I figured if I could get in shape. And so uh, a friend invited me on a mountain bike ride. And uh, then I just, the more I started riding, the the more I fell back in love with cycling. And then just gradually was like, you know, me going to a racetrack with a race car is kind of selfish. You know, the whole family, we can ride together. And that was kind of a selfish thing that I was doing. Expensive. It was a lot of fun too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, and it's, you know, it's probably no secret that those that are fans of like NASCAR and that some of the top NASCAR drivers definitely use cycling, you know, yeah. as part of their program. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some good rides with Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, and some of those guys. And then I was in Charlotte recently. And like, you just go out around the Mooresville area and like, there's just all these guys that you see on TV and they're all riding bikes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And there's some pretty awesome riding that's popping up in that region, you know, even, and then you zoom out an hour to an hour and a half and you're in the Pisgah area. And so yeah. it's, yeah, it's a pretty incredible region. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's transition. We're going to stay at, we're going to stay on Nike here, but we're going to transition into grit because grit is a program. I, I, I often like to get into the female set of mountain biking because I think it's super important. I have, two daughters myself. I was raised by all women. And so I've been greatly impacted by, by females in my life. And in grit is one of those programs in NICA. That's, that's just, you know, it's, it's, it's changing the face of NICA for the better and for cycling. Yeah, absolutely. So grit is girls riding together and it's a, it's a NICA program. And, and, you know, really whenever you think about it, like the, the demographics of Arkansas, are it's like Arkansas is 51% female. And, but then we're, we're in the sport of cycling and we started the NICA league. And I think the first year we were like 7% female. And so we're like, we, we need to do that. And so we started working with NICA national and, and there's this grit program. And what you realize, like as a male coach that I can, yes, I can coach a female, and but the a lot of and this this goes for men too but like what happens is is like whenever i demonstrate a skill like a female might look at it and go well that's coach terry and he's been doing this for 20 years there's no way i can do that but when you have another female show them that it can be done like the so that's where these girls riding together and how they just keep getting stronger and stronger right? Like the power of the pack almost. And, and there's all these great programs, um, because of that. And so we've been able to impact, you know, getting more girls on bikes in Arkansas. Like we're at, uh, right at 30% female now in our league. We want to get like high school sports in the state of Arkansas is 41%. We'd like to surpass that and one day get to 50, but we'll be happy with 41% or better. So this year we're doing, we've got a grit camp where we got some uh, pros like we're, you know, and obviously the location of Bentonville and we have access to the, all these amazing people. And so like uh, Annika Beerton's come in and a few others that are coming to help with our grit camp. We're putting on a grit race just for the girls where they can compete in an environment without without the boys around just to, it's really about lifting them up and 
lowering the the barriers and the intimidation and all that stuff. So when they show up at their first race, they should be ready to go. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, let's transition out of NICA and transition into communities because you've also been involved with getting trails in your local community. And I'd like to get your thoughts in your own opinions, that is, on what trails do for communities and what you've seen in your community and how it's impacted it. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, and I'll kind of refer you keep me, I'll keep referring to Bentonville as like the model. Like whenever they started building trails in Bentonville, it wasn't to be a destination, right? They they started with Slaughter Pen and it was like five miles and it was just to have something to do and make it fun. And then let's build a little bit more. And so really you have to give people opportunity and access. And the key to like inclusivity is in getting more people involved is having those trails in the community. And like for a while, every time I met with, you know, a city official or something, and I'm like, hey, we want some land to build some trails and we need this for, you know, the NICA team and the kids. And they're like, yeah, do it out. And it was always like outside of town. And I was like, you know, it's got to be in, it has to be in town. I promise you, this is going to be big. Just give us some land. And we, we started repurposing like, what they would kind of just determine like it's useless land. Like if some of it's flooded three months out of the year and you can't ride it, but we build trails on it for the other nine months, you know, and, and they ride great. And, but you just get more people on bikes and finding along the greenway and just accessing and making some little single track paths that just kind of meander through the woods and stuff. And um, it's been it just makes the community a better place to live. And instead of people wanting to move away to another community that has those amenities, we're building them here, you know, and it's not just where I live in central Arkansas. There's other communities that are doing it. Huntsville, you know, Pea Ridge and different places in Arkansas and other people are traveling in and trying to learn like what we're doing you know, so they can take it back, you know, to their communities and other states, which is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Bentonville obviously gets brought up a lot. One of the things that really stuck has stuck out to me and from visiting Bentonville, and I've visited Bentonville at least a dozen times at this point, is their use of land, like you said, in places where it's pretty, pretty much unusable. And those might be, and that might even be like uh, utility easements, you know, where you got a utility overhead lines or you know, stuff, just land that's too steep to develop in any other way in terms of any kind of commercial development or residential development. And, you know, those are oftentimes some of the most perfect places to put trails. Yeah. Yeah. It's just doing more of that, like finding, finding ways. And, and, you know, ultimately once the community starts seeing some of it because it's like in town and they see it and then, then they want more of it. And so it just starts to expand and, it's trying to get the other thing too is trying to connect different parts of the community you know so um, they've done an amazing job up there but like what we're trying to do is get that kind of energy going where we're using utility easements you know and having those meetings where you know right now they're like off limits but i'm trying to like hey if you we have a trail advocacy or can't even say right trail advocacy group so that 
is going to maintain the trail. So like if there's a tree down, we're going to like cut it. Like you don't have to send a crew out there on your power lines. We're not going to cut them off of the power lines for you, but you know, so just, um, getting people to buy in that it's a good thing. Um, we're lucky that we have a public use statute here too, that kind of helps with that in the state where if you open your private land to public use, you can't be held liable. So that, that helps with some of it. Yeah, that is, that is pretty important. I think a lot of states now have those and I don't, and they, you know, and a lot of times, at least from what my research, those weren't even put in place because of things like cycling. They were put in place because of like hunting and, yeah. and other other older forms of recreation, you know, that can still, still be dangerous. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you want to promote it, you know, you want to promote that, whatever that form is and, and not, you know, the people that are helping other people get access to, it shouldn't be held responsible, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, it sounds like you have also had the great fortune to travel a lot. I have, I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of places, you know, both, you know, here and abroad. So what are some of the things you look for when either planning to travel to another community or maybe you've traveled to another community and something that has stuck out to you as being really good about that community in terms of trails? And, and some people, you know, when other people have answered this question, like, oh, it's got a brewery or whatever, you know, so answer it however you feel appropriate, you know? Yeah. I think, um, Whenever I think, you know, a lot of people use the term bike friendly, but like to me, bike friendly is like this. There's so much more to it than just feeling safe. Me feeling safe riding my bike down a street. Like what I want is whenever I'm riding with my 10 year old son, that I feel safe riding those streets because there's a difference between us riding alone and what we do on a daily basis and like what it's like to ride with a 10 year old. Um, you know, that, so that, that's, that's what I like and where communities are, they recognize that like you're with your family and people give you room. Um, you know, they're not honking the horn, but, but not just that, like how, how businesses interact with cyclists too, and being friendly and having a bike rack in front of a business, you know, and that's all the things that we're striving, you know, to get in, in different communities is just get it to where, where you just, where people are just out more and riding their bikes, you know, ride your bike to dinner with your family and or ride it to the store. Like it's now I look for this connectivity whenever I'm thinking about moving or doing something, it was always, I wanted to be in, in the, the in subdivision or whatever. Now it's like, I want to be, I want to be close where I'm on my bike and I'm not having to drive my truck around town everywhere. I just, I can ride to the store, ride to a restaurant, ride with my kids, you know, that, that's what I look for. So, and I'm lucky to have that here. And whenever I travel to multiple areas in the state. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've, I've reverted to now in the last couple of years that I'll look at, I'm, I really like staying at Airbnbs. Yeah. And I'll look at, I'll have a window open for my browser of Airbnb. And I'll have a window open for trail forks yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So I can see, okay, if we're going to stay at an Airbnb, where's the nearest trail? And this just actually, just last weekend, this worked out like flawless for me. We had to go to Chattanooga for a wedding and we got an Airbnb and there is a trail system and what turned out to be a really awesome trail system. 
1.5 miles away from the Airbnb that we stayed at. And it was almost all grade separated access, you know, so separate bike lane or separate, you know, not even separate bike lane, like separate, like shared use, multi-use path to get to that trail system. It was incredible. And I didn't think it was going to be that good, but it was, it turned out way better than I thought it would be. And that's how, cause that's how you get communities on bikes, you know, that whenever I, whenever I talk to the community and I'll go to like meetings, like, uh, I do a talk every year to like the Conway leadership Institute and it's always about bikes. And so I'm like, I just ask people what stops you from riding a bike to work today. And people are like, uh, I'm afraid of dying, you know? And so that's what those shared use, you know, those bike lanes are, you know, just having uh, a bike path or a greenway or something. And, uh, because what, what most people see when they see somebody on a road bike going down the highway, they see, that's what they, they see a cyclist, but you know, whenever they see a family or somebody riding, then it's a little, it's a little bit more impactful to people around you, you know. We're going to go into another avenue that I often bring up and we discuss this over email. And I think you, uh, you know, based on your email response, you have a great response to this next question that's coming up, which is a famous failure. And, you know, I bring up the famous failure thing because, you know, so much success is defined by, you know, the things you've tried and failed at, or the things that didn't quite go the way you thought them would, and you, they would, and you, you get more learning out through those experiences than almost anything in life. Yeah. You know, so let's go into your famous failure. And I think this is one and be as descriptive as you want here, because I think this is one that'll really capture people's attention. Okay. Well, I would say probably the famous, and I've, I've had multiple, this isn't the only one by any stretch of the imagination, but probably one of the biggest, I was racing, uh, I got hired to drive uh, an asphalt sprint car and uh, for a guy. And it was like, the, you know, you get high, like I'm a paid driver now and I feel like I'm a professional and but it was my first time in this car, first time on asphalt in a wing sprint car. And he, the guy takes me to a national event, like the baddest dudes in the country are there. And so practice, we, we do okay. And I qualify okay, but they do this invert. And because of the invert, I started on the front row. And like, so the fastest guys are like starting sixth and eighth, somewhere around there. So they have to get through some traffic and it's in, but what ended up happening was I take off and I get a, I get a lead. But my first time in the car, the car's so loud that like, I just think they're all over me. I'm like, I'm just going around there and I, I, there's, you don't have radios. Like you watch NASCAR, there's no radios or anything, no mirrors. And we're doing like 125, 130 miles an hour on this short track going around. And the whole race goes by and I get the white flag. And I was running the high line, like higher up on the track and this, a slower car moved over, but he moved over in front of me. And I was just like, I'm not giving up the lead with one lap to go. These guys are all over me. And I just like sail off in the corner and I run over this guy. And I I had such a big lead that I was done crashing and sliding and everything. And I looked and, and the second place car was like a half a lap behind me. It, yeah, it was, I was upset. I almost won a national event first night out. It would have been huge. And instead I was, you know, just kind of, I 
just realized I have to have situational awareness. I was, I was also very intimidated by the other competitors. Like I just looked around and I'm like, this guy's like a, there's that guy's a five-time national champ and that's so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's really easy to do that, especially at a bike race. You know, you go to a bike race and you're lining up with all these guys. And so now it's like, I just kind of line up and I'm like, it's just another race. Like, do and I always tell people and I tell my athletes this and I, like when you're racing, you're really racing yourself. There's just other people on the track. So that's probably the best advice I can give. But yeah, that was a, uh, I may have shed a tear that night over that one. So, uh, <laughs> over that crash. So did you, uh, did you have more opportunities in for the, the wing sprint car and asphalt racing? Oh yeah. 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 We kept going. So, uh, I, like we crashed that night and, like whenever, whenever you're racing at that level is like, we had to, you know, we traveled to a hotel and wake up the next morning and repair the car and go to the next race the next night. So yeah, those, whenever I was doing that, you're, you're traveling all over, all over the country, really. So I would, I would leave Tampa and race my way and end up like in Missouri and then have to drive all the way back to Tampa or from Pennsylvania or wherever. Yeah, that's some good stuff. I, I mean, I love all forms of racing, and so it's. I'm glad that you you chose that as your uh, famous failure story. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, there's. You know, people ask me which I like better, mountain biking or racing cars, and you know, I I love mountain biking, but there's you know no substitute to stepping on the throttle of like 800 horsepower sometimes. So. There's parts I miss. I don't miss the financial worries of, uh, you know, motors at 30 and $40,000 or more. So like stuff like that. Yeah. Racing is definitely in racing. Any motorsport is just a different level in terms of investment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't see a lot of working stiffs like me doing it. It's a lot of guys that own companies or, or have parents or somebody. So yeah. It was, uh, I was glad I did it. I learned a lot, made a lot of great friends, um, you know, and then kind of transitioned back into cycling. Well, we're going to get into what I'm going to, what I'm going to call the bonus round. Okay. And this is where I, I, I reached out to a couple people who know you to see what they want to know about you. Oh, all right. The first one is Josh Shively and, and Josh Shively, he's a, he's the head coach for the NICA program here in lacrosse. Yeah. Wisconsin. He's been a friend of mine. I, I met Josh, it would have been in 1995 or 96. I think I was a senior in high school and he had just moved to the community. I met him right when he moved here. And Josh is a pretty fast guy too. And he's also into a lot of different things. So I don't know how well you know, Josh. I know, I know you know him from NICA, but he's also the drummer in a band. Yeah, I've seen that. I've followed him. Yeah, I see it. You know, and so I reached out to Josh and I, yeah, I said, what should I ask Terry Coddington? And <laughs> he wants to know what song gets stuck in your head during long rides or long races or events. You, you would be surprised. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's usually something very chill. Like, um, and I, I'm, I can't even... You know, I can't even really wrap my head around like a song right now that would come to mind, but it's going to be like a more like of a, a melody 
bass type thing or just something super chill, just something that's kind of calming or, or something that might have a rhythm to it. It's not like ACDC or heavy. Most people think, you know, the way I ride on a trail or something, it's like heavy metal or something. It's not, it's like something just very, very smooth. That's a good question though. I wish I had a, I wish I had a specific song, you know, but, uh, a lot of theme songs from musics. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like, you don't get the. Uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go here because. Oh uh, yeah. You don't get the you don't get highway to the danger zone. Yeah. <laughs> stuck in your head. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. Just yeah, for the listeners out there, you got to go see it. It's good. So, have you have you been able to see the new one yet? Yeah, I went and saw it uh, a couple nights ago, um, like the premiere night, and um, just. Coming from naval aviation, you know, it, it, it is like what they say, love letter to aviation. But it's like there's no CGI. Like the stuff you see in that is legit naval aviators doing naval aviator stuff. So it's pretty cool. But, yeah, it's like no, no Top Gun in my head, though. It would be more like maybe like the love songs or something. I don't know. The next person that I reached out to is Jeff Gannon and Jeff is, you know, he's, as you know, he's the owner of affordable trail solutions and he's big into trail building in, in your region. And that's how we got connected for this interview. And as a joke, Jeff wants to know why you're so fast. And if you're ever going to slow down. <laughs> I'll slow down eventually to, you know, I don't consider myself fast. I always feel like there's somebody out there that's always faster than me or working harder than me. But I think probably to answer the question the best I can is I have the ability to suffer and I'm kind of bullheaded. Like, you know, in, in my head, I just, I'm, whenever I'm racing, I'm like, I'm not going to die there. You know, I just tell myself if I'm, I'm not going to die, this isn't going to, but then there's a few times where like Leadville, um, I did Leadville and had pneumonia one year. And I was like, I actually think I might die doing this. So the doctor didn't know I was racing, so I just decided to give it a try. So, can we but, add can we add one fun fact to that comment that you just made? Because I asked, I also yeah. heard you make a comment about this on a different podcast, and that is, you did come across the line right at nine hours. Which what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, right at you have to beat nine hours, um, but they had to have a meeting to decide if I was getting uh, the gold buckle and Ken Clover bless him. He was like, that guy's getting the gold buckle. Cause I had to sprint as I was coming into town, some lady yelled at me, sprint, or you're not going to make it. And I sprinted. And then when I crossed the line that like the clock, my tires at the finish line, and you can see the digital clock in the background is nine zero zero. So it was, it was a big, and then I collapsed. Like Ken, Ken gives you, he gives everybody like this hug. I don't know if he's still doing it because of COVID or not, but like he, gives everybody this hug and whenever he hugs me, I just like collapse and he's having to hold me up and he like had to hand me over to somebody else. And I was just basically, they just dropped me in a heap on the ground and started checking to make sure I was okay. So. Yeah. That was a special day on the bike that, that whole as much suffering as that was, that was ended up being a, a very special day. Yeah, that's that's a pretty incredible story, and and those those events are the ones that really, really stick out to people because so much effort goes into trying to pull something like that off. 
Yeah. Well, and I just think like events like that, you just, you learn so much about yourself, you know, and like you go through so much on the trail that, you know, similar to like what we do at NICA, why we do NICA and it's youth development on two wheels. Um, it's like you learn about yourself and then you apply it in real life. So like I've been in pain or different things in real life. And I'm like, this is no big deal, you know, like, cause I, cause I did this, I can get through this. And that's kind of how I apply it in my life. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Jeff really had a real serious question too, even though we, we turned his not so serious question into a serious question. Yeah. He also wants to know your thoughts on the current trail building boom and what that's doing or how that, how that is in, from your opinion and your view. Yeah. You know, it's really like it's the boom is good, but I, I also worry about um, sustainability. And if, it, if, we, if we outpace how fast we can build trail advocate groups um, and maintainers that are because the business model of we just get this grant and we build this trail and then the trail builders leave. Now who's going to maintain it? Like you have to maintain that trail or it's going to fall in disrepair. And it was just a waste, colossal waste of money. And then the community is going to be mad because the money wasn't spent on something else like a swimming pool or something. So, so like you kind of have to, you know, and that's one of the things we try to do with NICA is we, we require the kids to do volunteer hours every year through our team trail core program. Last year, we did 6,000 hours. The athletes did, not just the athletes in Arkansas. We did 6,000 volunteer hours. We're hoping for 8,000 this year. But it's got to, like, you, that the business model, basically, of everybody having their hand out and wanting, waiting on a grant, and then whenever the trail, like, that's not sustainable. And I don't have, like, a perfect solution to it other than this is where, as, as mountain bikers, um, trail runners, what, whatever, we all have a stake in this because if these trails are going to be built, they're basically being turned over to us. And most people have the approach like they, they don't have to do anything. Like you, you do have to do something. You do have to give back. Like for if you're going to ride that trail three days a week, you know, every week of the year, like why not two or three weekends a year? Why not spend time weed eating or you know, fixing drainage and just being good trail stewards. So um, that I would like to see more community buy-in um, than just, you know, I think it's great what's happening for the trail builders. They're busy, but, you know, what's it look like five years from now? You know, we, and especially, you know, as much as many people are coming in from outside of the community and then going back to their home, like the, the communities kind of left to uh, to maintain the stuff. So, yeah, and that's a direction I've, you know, often gone into and I don't have I don't have the perfect solution either. But I've thought for a long time that the trails are are awesome and we're, you know, we're continuing to expand. But through that planning process, how do we build in a maintenance component so we can have that maintenance solution at least thought about and kind of figured out before the trail goes on the ground? And, you know, I think some communities are approaching the point of, which is, this is a good thing, so don't get me wrong, of having so many trails that the volunteer groups can't really keep up with it. 
Yeah. You know, so how do we build in a sustainable reoccurring trail maintenance fund into those communities where then you could hire said NICA students as like a legit, you know, summer job and, you know, instead of them going to work at say a, a burger joint or whatever other summer job might be doing. Cause a lot, and a lot of kids do like lawn work and stuff too. And so this would be just an alternative to that where you could actually employ and maybe that is employed through a local trail builder where they're the ones, you know, providing the leadership for the maintenance. But you see it. I mean, I see I mean, how much maintenance goes into ball fields and how much maintenance goes into pools and other things, you know, and, and looking at it from the perspective of we have the infrastructure, but there isn't really any infrastructure in the world that doesn't require some level of maintenance. Right. 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 You know, you know, whenever we build features, you know. We try to build features that are sustainable. So you see like, you know, transitions that are, you know, faced with rock and different things because of the erosion. But um, I think the areas that have, at least here, the areas that have some economic impact, you know, from the trails are doing an okay job of, you know, having staff, but they can't do it all alone. You know, if, and I'll, you know, whether if hot springs might have two to three employees, Bentonville has uh, maybe five or six, you know, on the city staff that, that run around and do trail maintenance and cut trees. And, but it's still, you know, like in uh, Bentonville's got hundred, you know, 200 miles of trail. So like, you can't like five people aren't a lot of people just think those five people are maintaining all that. That's not, not that's not happening so i think you know i don't like i said i don't have it it's something that's always in the back of my mind and we're trying through the nica team trail corps we're trying to teach kids that they have to give back to the trails that they get to enjoy but for the regular user i i don't know how we you know there's trail signage and different things but i almost feel like you know a qr code on every mountain bike sold should almost have like a QR code on the top tube to like Ember or something or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever we can do, like we, we need to do more. So. Well, and then, you know, with that, having that, having the volunteer mentality instilled in or the community, you know, mentality instilled into it provides a greater ownership. And then the user's, do appreciate everything better. And so I do think that there's still always, there will always need to be a component of a volunteerism and community around the trails. That's really what makes them successful. Yeah. So I have a bonus question also that I did not email you that I thought of today before we, uh, before we hit record. And this is going to be the exact opposite of what we were just talking about. All right. It still has trails. It still is mountain biking. Okay. It's the pay-to-play model in bike parks, and I know you've been able to travel. And I just yeah. want to get your thoughts on on bike parks in general, like what you appreciate from having or from being able to go to a bike park, and what the bike park experience you know provides for you or other people. I love the pay-to-play because you expect better maintenance and different things with that, right? Like there's a certain whenever you go to a bike park, you you expect that, you know, and so. The fact that like Bentonville, uh, everything is free is is amazing. Um, but yeah, it's like whenever I travel and 
lift access or different things, I I try to give as much as I can and always spend a day at a bike park. Um, I usually go fry myself on a cross-country ride the day before and then do some lift access stuff for a day after. But, um, yeah, I just I, – I love – what you get there and how the skills and everything. And also it's, it just keeps uh, it's something that a lot more people can do back to the opportunity and access whenever you have that environment. Uh, obviously people need, you know, there's a, a portion of people out there that have lessons and everything, but like I said, you have a controlled environment and it just makes it easier than somebody building stuff, you know, out in the backyard and, sending it so yeah and i know like the people i talked to or have asked us to in the past you know they've they've and in fact one really recently said he really enjoys more of the adventure cross-country type of riding but he goes to the bike park and he lives in a pretty he lives in an area that has lift access not too far away out in, in colorado and he goes to the bike park specifically to work on skills yeah it's it's something that you don't get to see every day you know you know it's generally challenging. You have progression, which you don't always have. Like whenever you're just riding your trail, a lot of times it's the same thing, but it challenges you, you with the uh, progression of skills, um, you know, more speed. So all of that, plus, you know, it's just fun. Like you get, you get to do it for five or 10 minutes and then take a break and ride the lift back up. And I, I love to see those places flourish and do well. And I, I hope they all stay in business. And I think every, everybody should visit a bike park. Yeah. And the model is growing too. Like you, now you have bike parks popping up that are shuttle based and not necessarily, you know, at a resort with a lift or e-bikes have really opened up the whole yeah. model as well. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised what you can, do on an e-bike so i've done some of those rides lately where you cruise up to the top and the e-bikes are really capable on a downhill if you're on the right one so well i think you and i would probably really enjoy uh we have the same same mentality and the same thoughts when it comes to riding because i think what you just said and what i'm going to do here in the next couple weeks is probably the same thing where i'm going i'm taking a trip that'll be where there'll be uh, an abundance of bike park riding but i am taking my uh quote unquote down country bike as well my trek top fuel yeah and I plan on frying myself, like you just said, on some good adventure, long cross country riding. And then, you know, transitioning over to the slash for the yeah. bike park stuff. Yeah, I love, um, like I do so much cross country stuff when you get on a bike like the slash or whatever and how capable they are. And it just opens up a whole new realm of possibility, like all, all, the, all the different bikes. So. It's pretty cool. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Well, how do you want to close this thing out? I know you have a lot of people or a handful of people you probably want to thank, and, and maybe you also have some parting wisdom you'd like to close this thing out with as well. You know, there's so many people to thank, to, to thank them. And I would forget somebody if I did it individually, but we have so many amazing volunteers with NICA, like our, our leadership team, the, the race staff that puts on the races, like they're, they're some of the best. If you haven't been to a NICA race, get out there. It's, it's on par with anything you've seen at national level races. Um, the whole environment, the, all the NICA coaches um, that volunteer their time, it's really 
we could not have the kids. We could not get more kids on bikes without these people doing this all around the state and their community. So the fact that I'm here, it's because of them. And, and so I'm just kind of like the figurehead that gets to kind of run the program or whatever. So uh, I'm truly blessed. If you remember back to what I said earlier, I would just say, you know, I feel like my life did not start to become, aside from my kids, my life did not start to get more enriched until I started giving back. And so whether you're giving back by becoming a NICA coach uh, or something like that, or giving back to trails in your community or a soup kitchen, whatever, just get you know, give back and you're going to get more out of it than you're ever going to put into it. I promise you. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end this one, Terry. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to sit down and do this interview and it, it's some good knowledge to share with the masses. So, well, yeah, this is uh it's awesome. It's uh, good to meet you and thanks for having me on. Um, and, uh, we'll see you on the trail hopefully one day. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature mountain bike hall of fame inductee, Minnesota Cycling Association founding member and overall super advocate for mountain biking, Gary Showquist. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness to both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Giants Ridge Bike Park, Ride the Range, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>